Why are you here? Because I killed my wife. And why did you do that? Because she murdered our children. She told me to let her go. Who's Teddy Daniels? He doesn't exist. Now that is Rachel Solano. I made them up. Why? After she tried to kill herself the first time, Dolores told me she she had an insect living inside a brain. Her skull just pulling the wires just for fun. She told me that. She told me that, but I didn't listen. I loved her so much. My name's Andrew Latus, and I murdered my wife in the spring of 52. Welcome, my name is Matt, and I'm here with Andrew. Today, we're going to be talking about Shutter Island, Scorsese's noir horror that grips from beginning to end, from paranoia to tragedy, and from Teddy to Andrew. So grab your popcorn and Reese's Pieces, and let's break it down on the Post Credit Podcast. We talked about this before we were going to do this. We were like, this is going to be the next movie. And you're just like, mm-hmm. and I was like, try it again. Now that we're kind of more open to different movies and see if it, see if it, it plays out any different. So what do you think this time? It got worse. Oh God, <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> All right. So, well, before we dig into it. We have some apologies to make. Really? <laughs> wow. Um, to a fictional character, actually. Okay. Um, so, uh, in our um, in our Goonies episode, made a couple flubs. Um, I called uh, uh, what's his name um, Corey Feldman in the Jason movies. I called him Tommy Doyle. Obviously, that's not right. That's one of the kids that was babysat in Halloween. I didn't mean Tommy Doyle. Tommy Jarvis is the one that uh, is the one that was attached to the Friday the Thirteenth. He's the Tommy. You know, two different Tommies. One for Halloween. One for so Tommy Jarvis is the one that goes up against Jason mm. in the movies. And I said Tommy Doyle. Also, um, I'm gonna have to take away your your comic book card because we had talked about how Chester Copperpot has the same. Na- uh, last name the as the penguin but the penguin's name isn't oswald Copperpot; it's oswald cobblepot 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 yeah. so we just had to we just had to make a couple corrections there Something real up. quick 
Yep, just to just make sure that uh, people know, like, hey, we caught it. And we catch stuff all the time. Sometimes we just go, eh, if somebody mentions it, we'll fix it or whatever. <laughs> but usually they're just like little things here and there. Mm-hmm. But it irks me whenever there are certain little things wrong and everything. And so if I remember to catch it, I'll get on it. But that's why we rely on our great audience to uh to take us to task you know to hold us accountable for the things no the things that that we said but this is just one that that something that i remembered and i wrote down as i listened to it when i was editing and all that so so apologies for that we're going to try to be a lot more accurate when it comes to that but when you have uh you know this whole library of movies and stuff Mm -hmm. that we're trying to talk to and reference this and that you know we try to get as much as we can right but uh eventually we'll Mistakenly, not that we don't know that's what it is, mm-hmm. but it's just like, well, yeah, of course I knew that. I just misspoke, or I said Jarvis instead of Doyle, right. or Cobblepot instead of Copperpot. So, anyways, um, we'll get the intro out of the way. Uh, today we're going to be talking about Shutter Island. Uh, this movie came out in 2010. It was directed by Martin Scorsese. Uh, the screenplay writer was Leda uh, Calogridis as I believe uh, is how you uh, pronounce it, but it was based off a novel by Dennis Lehane. And um, it stars Leonardo DiCaprio uh, as Teddy Daniels, um, stars Mark Ruffalo as Chuck Ull, as in Chuckle, uh, Ben Kingsley as Dr. Cauley, uh, Max von Sydow as uh, Dr. Nehring, uh, Michelle Williams as Dolores. It also stars uh, Emily Mortimer, Patricia Clarkson, Jackie Oral Haley, Ted Levine, uh, John Carroll Lynch, uh, Elias Codius, and, uh, and uh, uh, Robin Bartlett as, uh, as Bridget Kearns, uh, one of the most understandably in prison for murder characters that we've seen (laughs) (laughs) if you know what i mean Mm. because back in the 50s you know she had she she got in prison in there for murdering her husband because he was abusing her i saw i didn't really see anything insane about her but you know back in the 50s i think it was kind of making a statement there a little bit but you know yeah it was just different back then for women and all that kind of stuff so um, this movie is about a uh, U.S. Marshal. Uh, his name is uh, Teddy Daniels, and um, excuse me, he uh, he arrives at uh, uh, an island called Shutter Island, um, and he's there because he's been uh, dispatched by the uh, Marshal Service to investigate a disappearance that happened on uh, Shutter Island. What Shutter Island is? It's uh, it has a, a, a mental asylum basically in it. Uh, it's called Ashcroft or Ashcliffe, mm-hmm. um, and uh, there's a patient named Rachel Solando that's that's gone missing. And I mean, no no evidence of how she went missing. Her door was locked. The uh, island has been scoured. There's rocky cliffs that she there's no way is there's nowhere for her to hide basically, yeah. and no way for her to get off the island or she would have she would have drowned. So um, that's that's the mystery. He's there. He's there to, uh, to 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 look at. So now, do you remember seeing this for the first time when it first came out? Yes, Did I believe you see I it watched the it with my mother. I remember we watched Inception with her because yeah. she wanted to see that. So but I'm pretty sure me and her watched this movie. I, I could be wrong. I could be wrong because this came out the same year as, as Inception. Yeah. Right, only like a few months actually before Inception. Which you know, I, I always thought this movie came out like beginning of 2000 for some reason I, I don't know why I had it stuck oh you thought it was that. about 10 years older than it mm-hmm. was yeah 
so this movie is actually about 11 years old now mm-hmm. uh, like i said it came out in 2010 but uh what was your uh what was your thoughts of it when it first came out when uh, when i first watched it or you know i was gonna watch it i was like okay you know martin scorsese leonardo DiCaprio, uh you know mark ruffalo which mark ruffalo wasn't a big name at that point you know no. really. um pre-mcu but, days yeah yeah um but you know it didn't didn't really have like a lot of like you know like earl haley you know i i uh you know i've always been a fan of his jackie earl haley yeah yeah and, and i've always been a fan of his especially um, in Watchmen. yeah oh yeah absolutely yeah. and even the new freddy krueger but <laughs> <laughs> that's my opinion yeah but you know I, i've always been a fan of his um you know, and then I mean, you got the the great Ben Kingsley in this film as mm-hmm. well. You know, so you know you you have Scorsese attached to it. And I love mob movies. I always mm-hmm. have loved mar- mob movies. I've watched all the Sopranos. No indications you know. in this movie that this was a Martin Scorsese. No, no, movie. no it really wasn't. Besides <laughs> the fact of having Leonardo DiCaprio in it, and yeah, I mean, I think we probably had one or two Italians in there. <laughs> yeah, usually that's that's a Martin Scorsese but, but it, movie. But it, you know, it, he tends to show corruption not just in the mobsters and his mobster movies, but also in corruption in the police in these mobster movies as well. You know what I mean? And, and you know, I'm not saying that the all cops were were corrupt back then, but you know, a lot of times during the mobster days, you know, they kind of had to be break the you know bend the rules a little bit. You know what I mean, and mm-hmm. and so you know he he shows that a lot of his mobster movies where they they have to bend the rules a little bit because these these criminals are so smart that they're able to run by the rules and follow the use the rules you know for them for their advantage. Well, and if you think about it, he makes movies about individuals, mostly men, mm-hmm. uh, of excess and yeah. of violence. Yeah, and violence is a huge key to this movie. Yeah. I mean, obviously, but I mean, that's really what, Mm -hmm. I mean, that violence is a word and a topic it's brought up so much in this movie. Yeah. Um, And and having, you know, like, I I thought Max von Sydow, you know, in in this film was awesome because, you know, him and Ben Kingsley both, because, you know, you start out watching this movie and you, you know, you're like, man, these guys, something's up with them. They're corrupt. They're. They're Somebody bad people, you know. They're 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 running this like a uh, uh, a uh, what's the word? Organized crime unit. Or well, and those two you know, organized but, crime area. And thing. those two are like the the two different schools of thought yeah. that they actually talk about in the movie. You have Ben Kingsley characters, Doctor Cauley. He is the one that's got more affection. You know, he's he's the one that feels that you should treat these these patients with more care more love you know listen to them yeah try to heal them mm-hmm. and all that whereas the max von Sydow character you know he's always in the lab rooms and all that kind of stuff he's a guy that does lobotomies i'm sure you know and, he, he yeah. his school of thought is fix it physically instead of uh pharmaceutically you know by drugs yeah. or by counseling or whatever and and you know Sidal's character kind of you know really you really start out with with him you know th- this is my problem with this movie is that it was a re- they tried to stretch a lot they had they tried to to grasp a lot and, and make it make it fit his mentality and his his psychosis you know who's uh, uh um, teddy's yeah well yeah teddy's yeah, yeah they, <laughs> they tried they tried to make it feel you know fit his psychosis you know and 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 they were really stretching there with it, you know, by, you know, asking Sidow's char- character, 
you know, uh, you're German. I can tell that you're hiding. You know, I ca- I caught your dialect right there, and you know, I know that you're German. You know, yeah. and, and he's, you know, he says you Leonardo, do a good job of hiding it. Yeah, but. and Leonardo DiCaprio's uh, character was, uh, um, you know, he fought in World War Two. You know, so he he. Uh, he, he picked up on that that German point about it, but it just kind of seemed like it was really his psychosis was really trying to stretch there and try to make it fit to the movie in, in the sense of trying to put put that part of the movie across, I guess. You yeah. Know? Well, I mean, we're obviously not supposed to to trust the Max von Sydow character. Right, right, right. He's and, and the reason is because <laughs> he gets he's not going to have he's not going to have much contact with. Leo's character throughout this process because he's not behind the process, which we'll get behind. Yeah, because that's that's kind of something at the end that we find out. Yeah, so he's not behind this process right now, so you're not going to see much of him, whereas... Uh, you know, Ruffalo's character and Kingsley's character, they're more involved with what's going on, yeah. the process and everything. So, you know, we're going to see much more from them. So you have to have the sadistic people. You have to have a threat there because Ben Kingsley's very comforting and welcoming character. But, you trust him. Yeah, but at the beginning of the movie, you don't really trust him because you think he's up to something. You know, that's the feeling that, I mean, I've seen the movie before, but that's the feeling I got from it that, you know, you can't really trust Ben Kingsley's character because, you know, you think maybe he's really up to something, and that's why the FBI is like really here. But what I'm saying is he's purposely soothing. You know, even yeah. if you think that there's something, he doesn't. He he, he at least tries to be a soothing presence. Uh, puts on a a facade. It may be his real the real way he is, which he'll get in. We'll get it into. Has it has to be. It has to. But be. it's maybe a, just a facade. Maybe he's really evil. Maybe, you know, all that kind of stuff. But he puts on a facade of niceness and comfort to where you feel like you can trust him. And so yeah. does Ruffalo's character and everything. So, you know, it's it's but you so you need some kind of threat. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. because is there really a threat? Yeah. So you, you, you need some kind of a threat and and more so than the you know, the metaphorical threat of the whole point of yeah. what's going on. Yeah. Um and that is represented by Max von uh, Sydow's character and the warden. Um, they're they're like the threats because even that main guard that greets him and brings him up, John, played by John Carroll Lynch, yeah. is awesome. He even sees like he seems like he's not um, he's not an evil person. He's just you know eh, here's the rules. We're strict about the rules. This is what's going on. You know. Whereas the other two have kind of an air of uh, malevolence to him a little bit, but. Well, the de- the deputy, you know, you've seen him in a lot of roles. Like he's on uh, more recently that I've noticed he's on American Horror Story. The oh, the John Carroll Lynch. Yeah, yeah. And in that, you know, he he does kind of play bad, good, bad, good, you know, type characters. You know what I mean? But he he's always been kind of like that, uh, you know, kind of sly character where you know he's verging on you know evil and good you know well and like zodiac yeah i mean that's one of the ones that i want to talk about on this on the show eventually um but zodiac i mean he he was one of these that they thought might have been the so you you don't know you know yeah. is he a normal person i mean he plays that like where he can he's play normal actor, and stuff that's why yeah and and or you have a role like volcano where he's just an everyman yeah 
you know, and that's all he is. Yeah. There's nothing this way or that way about it. That was an earlier role, so he probably wasn't trusted with as much, like, um, you know, important roles or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. I just, uh, I, I love his character, but, but yeah, so you need that, you need that, uh, and you need to create that paranoia, right? Yeah. Because this is supposed to be a bill, uh, like a B-film, pulp noir mm-hmm old school horror movie yeah you know almost hitchcockian um but just that you know back in the 50s when they had tons of movie about like scientific experiments and government paranoia and all that kind of stuff so i mean it it's supposed to be it it, it opens up and it kind of plays like that like a b uh, b film pulp noir but with it has great visuals because you have a cinematographer like robert yeah. richardson no no that and that's one thing i i dislike this movie Probably it's the worst movie we've done a podcast on, in my opinion. Wow. Yeah. And and I, I wanted to wait to say that until we were on air, because that way I didn't want you to just kick me out of your house. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I wanted to wait till we were on air until I mentioned that. But this 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 film, I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate on this film. You know, I'm not going to trash it, mind you, but the the filming on this, the, the camera work, everything else like that, the music was wonderful. I, I totally agree with you on that. I thought it was done. They did a wonderful job. Then, you know, Ben Kingsley's character, awesome in this. His acting is phenomenal always. And then Jackie Earl Haley is, I wanted more of it's, him. Yeah, it's like it's got great visuals as a visceral and like dense background yeah. with what's, going, what's actually going on. Uh, and top of the line, actors and performances from the actors. I mean, out of all those ones that I mentioned in the intro, mm-hmm. like, these are all grade A actors and actresses, you know, that that, right. that are top of the line and giving it their all in these performances, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> Don't but, get mad at me. Don't get no, mad no, at no, me. No, 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 no. I'm not getting yeah. mad at you. But, I mean, the visuals. Let's talk about Robert Richardson yeah. real quick. You Absolutely. Know, he's a son, cin- cinematographer. He, uh, cinematographer. <laughs> and he's won, he's won three Oscars yeah. before this. Mm-hmm. Uh, JFK, The Aviator, and Hugo. Yeah. Uh, well, Hugo's after, but mm-hmm. you know, <clears throat> he's won three Oscars for for his work, and and he works with uh, Tarantino a lot too. Yeah, uh, like the Hateful Eight and mm-hmm. the Snowy Scapes and stuff like yeah. that. This guy is an amazing cinematographer. I'm kind of wondering if he did uh, uh, the Bastards movie, Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. he could have. I, I I didn't I didn't look into it that. It just kind of felt like that a lot, you know. I mean, I'm Inglorious Bastards. I I don't know. I mean, just the filming and the way he did it and. Uh, the way he was able to break up the scenes and and edit those scenes and the breakup of the scenes, it really it was the only thing, in my opinion, that I felt like kind of pushed pushed the movie through through the time period I was watching it, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 broke up the monotony the monotony monotony of the film. He was he was the DP on Inglorious Bastards. I knew it. I mean, it just it, to me it just he it also, seemed similar. Yeah, he also did the Hateful Eight, World War Z with yeah. uh, with uh, he was uncredited there, so I, I doubt he was the main. But I mean, like da- uh, Django Unchained, Django Django Unchained. <laughs> he was the uh, the director of photography, Shutter Island, Inglorious Bastards, uh, Kill Bill. Both Volume One and Two, The Aviator. Yeah. Uh, let's see what else has he done. The Horse Whisperer, uh, Snow Falling on Cedars, Casino, Nixon. 
you know, Natural Born Killers, A Few Good Men, the JFK, were... The Doors. I mean, listen <laughs> yeah, to this. I know. Listen to this yeah. resume. Born on the Fourth of I July. Know. You know, Wall Street. Phenomenal. I, the, to have a, a catalog like yeah. that, to have a resume like that, is is amazing. And that's right. why I think that that's uh, that's one of those extra special little kicks that this, that gives this movie that feels like it should have been a movie that came out in the fifties, some kind of a yeah. black and white noir mm-hmm. b-grade horror film but it gives it okay now we got some great visuals yeah. now we because you're like like one of those movies but if they had money you know yeah uh so you have you have this director of photography uh that, that who's who's um, in my opinion uh, uh second to yeah. very few yeah if not well, well i mean i mean for you know for for instance that scene with jackie earl haley in the jail cell you know He's he you know in my opinion that was Leonardo's best acting in this film when he was interacting with Jackie or Haley I because think there's the so, scene at the end well that's okay. that's it for me but but yeah that but one was really good too that interaction it, I mean it definitely made me want to see more of and Jackie or Haley but the 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 interaction there and him getting bringing Jackie or Haley over to the jail you know to to stand in the light you know. Just the filming in there. I mean, it just the way it looked, the jail cell, the the way that it was edited back and forth, and and you, you know you're wondering who this person is, but it, just the filming in there was it was probably my favorite scene of the film, in in my opinion. And and but but you know the the it they he really brought it up and and you know it, what what do they call it the Freudian um, way of filming in the sense for this film in particular where where it started out you know. The deeper he got into psychosis or we got into psychosis and the craziness of it, the darker the scene was and the darker the 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 weather and how it was so much more cloudier up until the very end where, bam, it's all sunshine again. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's Freud. And it's just, uh, I don't know that there's like a term for that, but it's basically like the visuals matching the emotion of the main character to help the audience know how they should feel. So, yeah, that, that yeah, the, 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 uh, the, Okay, so he, he they once they get to the island, you know, as his medication probably started to wear off, that's when like the storm started, right? Yeah, and he was just like uh, the you know every it was raining and everything was a disaster. All Can I read this stuff. to you? Yeah, it said uh, through most of the storyline, it it is cloudy and the rain ha- it uh, turns heavier as the story gets deeper. The sun only comes out at the final scenes. This is another reference to Freud who described the subconscious as a confusing, cloudy weather in opposition to the clear skies of the consciousness. There you go. So it was, it, 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 it I love the way he filmed that. The, just the, the going from, cause I mean, you did get more feeling and, 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 and you, 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 you felt the hopelessness of the marshal, you know, uh, yeah. Leonardo's, uh, you know, he started getting more hopeless and, 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 you know, everything was just not going right for him. He was having bad dreams and nightmares and, and, you know, he was, there's so much confusion that was starting to build and, and the weather changed and the outlook of the scenes changed as he got deeper and deeper into it. Right. You know? And, and, and the way that that was filmed was brilliant in my opinion. But uh, on top of that, on top of the, the visuals, the music, yes, the music yes. is great now. Awesome. Um, you know, typically, you know, you have a movie caliber like this. You get like a composer that will compose uh, an original score or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so they didn't do that this time. Uh, Robbie Robertson, who is uh, Scorsese's, uh, is like a collaborator with him for uh, a bunch of different movies. 
um, they uh, they did previously recorded material to use in the film. So I mean, you have different symphonies, you know, kind of modern day. Um, modern day composers and mm-hmm. and and music and everything um they, t- they took one of them uh songs what the entrance uh from the shining i believe uh was it i, I was reading about yeah that i think too. maybe uh symphony three or something like that let me see um because it was saying that the um Oh, yeah, the music that accompanies the opening uh, Paramount logo and credits that are following taken from sample of the soundtrack from The Shining. Oh, uh, okay. I thought that was kind of cool, though. Yeah, yeah. I think the, uh, the, the the standout on this soundtrack is uh, On the Nature of Daylight by Max Richter, and that's the, that's the music, the slow strings that's playing yeah. whenever he has the flashback of uh, Dolores in the apartment that's burning down. Remember when we stayed in the cabin in the summer, Teddy? so happy she's here you can't leave get into all the whole fire fears and 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 water fears and all that kind of stuff but i want to compare this to the sixth sense real quick okay now this movie is a movie where at the end you have a very big twist that basically changes everything in the movie that you just watched just like the sixth sense so the sixth sense um not to spoil it for people who haven't seen it because we're not actually covering it so I don't want to be a you know a jackwad or whatever, but it, the six yeah this now okay for the six cents uh, you know we've said that before you should have seen it by now, um, but it doesn't stay with Bruce Willis that movie yeah uh, it cuts to scenes with uh, the kid and what he's yeah. doing and what the mom is dealing with and the birthday party and all this kind of stuff it cuts away because if you stayed with Bruce Willis as you know by the ending it wouldn't things wouldn't would start to make sense a little earlier probably you know yeah. it would just be cut from one scene to another with him not knowing how he got there or whatever yeah. so uh it, it's deceptive and it lies to you because it's it's the the answer at the end is supernatural yeah. right 
this film is different because it puts you in the supernatural first, right? Uh, you're engulfed by paranoia as the filmmakers put you in Teddy's uh, uncomfortable shoes. You know, you're the music, the setting, the lighting, the weather as the boat comes. Everybody's intimidated. The mood of the actors, um, the ambiance of everything, the the chilling um, uh, implications of of what's happened with this 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 lady's disappeared this Rachel Solanda's disappeared are there experiments being done you find out later in the movie that he talked with a guy named George Noyce and he found out that Andrew Noyce he found out that Andrew Latus was here and that's the whole reason he's here is to find Andrew Latus patient 67 exactly and uh, you know Rachel Solando is is uh, missing and so I mean it's it's putting you in this paranoia right and 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 you're you're automatically thinking all right something either supernatural is going on there's experimentation being done all this kind of stuff because that's what scorsese and the the writer has now put you into that situation so you don't believe anything that's coming yeah you know and you're gonna miss stuff because you're looking for spooky stuff you're looking for the unnatural or whatever but the entire time the movie tells you the truth yeah not not for not in Andrew's visions, sorry, excuse me, not in Teddy's visions, mm-hmm. um, but in the real world stuff where you don't have any uh, any weird stuff going on, it tells you the truth all the way through, and it shows you that we're watching a mental patient, but you're already set in paranoia, so you're just not going to see it. You, you overlook the different things. There's a scene in the movie where he's talking to one of the patients, and she's drinking a glass of water, but she doesn't have anything in her hand. And she starts going like this, and when she puts it back down, she actually you actually see her put down a real cup. Yeah. But when she had it to her mouth, there was nothing in her hand. What was up with that creepy lady cutting the roses? <laughs> I don't know that, and that didn't make any sense to me in that mo- in this movie. Exactly. The band aid switch places. I think yeah. the the lights go the the bright lights that come when he has the migraines. migraines yeah. It's meant to make you feel uncomfortable, yeah. paranoid, and all that kind of stuff, and so you miss the different things where. Like, uh, okay, you have the obvious stuff that, okay, he's a mental patient. Like, he, you know, he doesn't have a lighter, his gun's not real or whatever that he doesn't recognize till later. But maybe you, might, you don't catch the things that the filmmaker does. Like whenever he's first interviewing patients and him and um, Chuck are sitting next to each other and he's got that lady or the guy that he drives crazy with the pencil scratching and stuff. Um, if you look behind her, there's a guard. Behind Leo... On the shot of Leo, there's a guard. On the shot of Mark Ruffalo, played by Chuck, or uh, Chuck, played by Mark Ruffalo, there's no guard behind him. Mm-hmm. It's showing you which people need the guards yeah. and which people don't. So, I mean, you may not recognize it and stuff because you are fully set in his paranoia. But, I mean, th- that that's a different thing is, is how it sets you on edge to begin with. Well, this movie started out awesome. Like, you know, where, where, where you come to, you know, Leonardo to... Leonardo, I'm going to just say Leonardo because, you know, I don't want to say DiCaprio the whole entire time. But yeah, you come let's, out. Let's not. Let's try to be a little bit respectful. <laughs> um, but you, you start in the scene where he's on the boat. He's obviously gets seasick. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and you got, you know, he meets up with uh, with Mark Ruff, uh, Mark Ruffalo doesn't recognize him, which they meet for the first time after he's. There are the we're, boats we're, I'm already moving. Up quotes right now. Yeah, the boats almost at the island, and they're just now meeting. Yeah, yeah. You okay, boss? Yeah, fine. I just, uh, 
I just can't, can't stomach the water. You're my new partner. That's right. Not the best way to meet with my head halfway down the toilet. Doesn't exactly square with Teddy Daniels, the man, the legend, I'll give you that. The legend? What the hell are you boys smoking over there in Portland anyway? Seattle. I came from the office in Seattle. And, and But their scene, their interaction was really great. And then, you know, you kind of, you hear from Mark Ruffalo, he calls him the boss, you know, boss, all this other stuff. But, you know, he, he actually says, you know, um, basically commenting on how great a marshal he is. and The and legend. He's the legend. Which we don't really find out if he really was a legend. You know, there, it, there's no, you know, he might just call him a legend to boost his ego to, because, you know, again, we'll get into it, but, you know, trying trying to, um, you know, awaken him or, or just trying to, you know, be respectful to him, call him the legend, this and that, but you don't really actually find out if he actually was a legend throughout the film. I don't, I, I think he was probably just a normal U.S. Marshal. I think yeah. the legend thing probably came from Teddy. Um, because he is going to get really hard to talk about unless we just state flat out what happens yeah. in it. So, yeah. real quick, <laughs> um, at the end of the movie, <clears throat> we're going to go through all this stuff, but we actually find out that Teddy is not Teddy. It's and, an anagram. Right, and he's actually a patient here at the, at, at the Shutter Island, and he's been here for a couple years, and I think that's all we really need to say right now. Well, you want you want to know what ruined it for me? What? This is the thing that ruined it for me, that they could have took the scene out, and I would have loved this movie. The whole thing that ruined it for me. Hmm. When they go up to the gate to get into the, the actual asylum, you know, they're meted by the guards, they get their guns taken away. Both mm-hmm. their guns. Mm-hmm. They're federal marshals. And if you know, federal marshals have basically... You know, they're over FBI, they're over uh, cops, local sheriffs, everything else like that. Federal marshals, you don't take a federal marshal's gun. You do inside of a prison. Marshals, even to this day, aren't allowed to carry guns inside of a prison. But the fact that they took both those marshals' guns, right, and made a point with the camera work to look at Mark Ruffalo's gun as they hand it to him, right then I knew that, uh, that one or both were a patient of this... Uh, Asylum. That's fine. And and that's I mean, it's not it's the movie I don't think it hangs on whether you get the twist before it's revealed or not. Yeah. I think that for some people they'll recognize it. Some yeah. people they're so engulfed into the into the movie that they're they're watching a movie. What's great about this movie, um, it's uh, the, the the twist makes it feel like you you got a two movie experience basically right so you're you're still and, and, and it still remains rewatchable because you're 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 trying to find all this other right, stuff that right, you missed right. or whatever so the first time you watched it it's a paranoid thing like oh are they trying to make him a patient yeah you believe him from the beginning yeah whatever now you probably did too it was just that point that the guns were taken away where you go ah, i don't know about that or whatever that first yeah. time but i mean you had no reason to believe that he was a patient at that island until they started saying oh well you know they uh they they they, they try to turn you crazy oh you haven't been smoking any of cigarettes you haven't taken any pills have you that type of thing that's when you're supposed to know so but even if you you pick it up before before that i mean you're watching to to see what happens to this guy and then once you figure out what's going on you watch it again to then see all the connections right yeah and and i think that i mean some of the best parts of this movie are just all about what happened before the movie yeah 
you know. Well, well, it, it, it was for me. It was the gun uh, issue with that. It just didn't make any sense to me. I, again, like you said, you know, I, I I get that now, you know, because it's not it's not a prison per se, but it's an asylum. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it was like, you know, these marshals were there to basically investigate every single person in this jail, including the police officers. You know, and and to figure out where this woman had escaped to or help, who helped her or how she escaped. To me, that just sounded right off the bat. It sounded super fishy where it was like, you know, these guys are being investigated or are investigating all the cops and every single person in this, uh, this prison, including those cops, but they're handing their guns over to these cops. Why does that make sense to me? It didn't make sense to me. I don't have a problem with them handing over the guns because I know that that is a thing. And they even, I think he even quoted the penal code. Yeah, yeah, he did. He did. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, that makes sense to me because that's real life things. And him handing his gun over and Leonardo DiCaprio having a problem with it, that's their first issue with them going at the the people that are basically keeping keeping him in this this prison or whatever, right? So I mean that's that's like the first the first um uh what do you call it? Um the first conflict. Yeah. So that's like the first conflict, you know, he doesn't want to give up his his gun. Now a lot of people, and probably me included, could just chalk up Chuck not removing his gun because he's brand new, right, or something like that. Now, if you're a marshal, generally you've probably had prior law enforcement experience, right, right, right. prior experience with a gun or whatever. They don't let you out if you don't know how to pull your gun from a holster. Yeah, yeah. So that could be that's that's a that's a you know a misstep. Yeah. Um, but the fact that, that he And that pulled, was probably, you're right, there's probably a little bit too much to show this early in the movie. Yeah. Because, I mean, they, they panned on him pulling out not only his gun, because I believe uh, Leonardo Di, 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 DiCaprio. I can't even say it the right way. DiCap. DiCap. Leonardo DiCap handed over just his gun. Okay. Oh, just call him Leo. Leo. There Leo just handed over just his gun. Uh-huh. Where... Mark Ruffalo. He couldn't get the gun out of the holster, so he just took the holster right, off. Right, right. And him. that right there just set me off. That that set me off the, to, for the entire thing where I, I was like, okay, this is not, yeah. something's off here. And I don't think I ever remember thinking at that time, oh, I bet they're a patient here. Uh, I don't think I ever went to that. And I, many people, I don't think, went went straight to oh, that. Oh, yeah. It yeah. was kind of like, a, like a, okay, I well, got that's, lucky. that's <laughs> weird. Or, okay, maybe he's new. Or, okay, maybe something's fishy. It probably was but a good guess for me. That's in no that. way would that give away that Leo was a patient, or right. even that Mark Ruffalo was a patient. Yeah. Why would they be letting these patients? So I think it's more one of those things. Like maybe now that you've watched it, you are remembering that you thought that, but maybe at that time it was more like I knew at that point that something was fishy yeah. and something was going on, yeah. and and it wasn't what they were saying it was, yeah. and all that. Um, I, but the fact that he was getting, you know, migraines throughout the movie as well, and they were making a point of it, you know, to, to show that the, his migraines were getting severely worse, actually, because I believe on the boat he uh, he had his first migraine. But yeah, and then the lights were going off, the thunder. That yeah, During that storm is when it got to its worst point, Yeah, Yeah, I and it was, it was just getting worse and worse and worse until he was given uh, medication for a 
migraine, quote unquote. But in my opinion, I think he was just medicine for a migraine. I think that what that was, that was the buildup of him uh, not having his, uh, the medication fully. The withdrawals. His body. He's having withdrawals at right. that point. Because yeah. they even said later on that he's been medication free the entire, basically the entire movie. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that was for a good reason. And again, we'll talk about it later. But yeah. And what I, real quick, before we really get into the movie, you know, what I really like about it, it, it veers, uh, as I've said before, it veers from the paranoia inducing fare of like, you know, previous B noir horror and uh, and actually gives us real life horror, you know, like the concentration camps, yeah. like what would happen if something happened to your family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it gives us real life horror, you know, the same thing that we've seen in the news or newspapers, uh, you know, many times before. And it reminds us that the real world in the light, because remember, these things that they're seeing, remember that's daytime, the concentration camp, him coming home. To his family. That's all daylight. So it reminds you that the real world in the light, in the daylight, is just as horrifying as what our minds can conjure up in the dark, you know, in the cell block C where everything's dark and everything. Because that the the murder flashback, which we'll get into, and the concentration camp are scarier to me than any scene in the dark or imagine paranoia, anything like that. Those real, those are the parts that are hard for me to watch. Well, in the concentration camp, that was actually uh, from history. Exactly. It happened. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and you know, that, that's from, from the real concentration camp, yep. Duck Out, you know, and, and that camp was the longest running concentration camp mm-hmm. and it really was liberated and all that kind of stuff. There's whole stories you can look up on it, but... Uh, I don't know. I, I I think you know. There's there's plenty to. I think if you're for some for whatever reason just diametrically opposed to this movie, I don't know if you're going to see much good. Like if if it disappoints you that early on, I uh, I could see why you probably just didn't because then your expectations were let down or whatever. But I mean that didn't necessarily mean that that's the way it had to go or that he was a patient or right, whatever. Right. But. So, uh, but yeah, it opens up with um, this this uh, wall of fog over over uh, over the water, mm-hmm. and the boat comes out of it. And you know, whenever it, it finishes them talking and everything, and then the camera looks at the island that they're approaching, and it goes. know the music effects uh sound or music effects as they're coming out of the fog to the island i think it rep- represents as a warning as we're about to go through a fog of memories and experiences uh and coming out of that fog is metaphorical for leo's character coming out of the fog of his mind yeah. he's he's not 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 to let him play out his fantasy but to become again who he really was mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah. so I don't know. It, it's it's interesting, you know. You you you. Uh, they they. He throws up. You know. He's 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 looking up at the water. He's not seasick. Yeah. He's saying to himself. He's saying, "It's just water. It's just water." But the mere sight of water mm-hmm. makes him seasick. Now he yeah. tells people he's seasick, and he tells his doctor. His doc. Oh, well, I guess we should get that out of the way since I just said it. But Chuck is actually uh who's leo's partner in this movie is actually uh his his doctor his, his yeah, primary it's not dr Naring, which is what they what they who they try to say is basically Nehan. Yeah, or or wait who is it that you're talking about uh uh max von Sydow's oh, yeah. character uh you know it kind of kind of tries to show that he's basically the doctor the main doctor for everybody there in a, in a sense you know like he's the head doctor you know and and so 
you know, you don't realize that. Well, him and Ben Kingsley, I feel, I think that they had stated that they were both doctors, like the main doctors. Yeah. 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 So, but you don't really find, I mean, you know, and I got to give it to Mark Ruffalo, to be honest with you. I'm I'm not a huge fan of the guy, but this film, yeah, I think he did a a really good job in it. I love Mark Ruffalo. I, you know, as an actor, I I love all his performances that he does. Um, It's, he, he has such like, he has a calmness to him. You know, we talked about him in, uh, in, in, um, Eternal Sunshine. Yeah episode and uh he has he has like a calmness to him and and the things the the, the ticks that he has you know the different mm-hmm. things that he does while he's acting where whether he's touching his mouth or or you know moving his jaw around and everything and you know and i i don't know he's just a very calm and comforting actor and he does seem and feel and sound trusting yeah. so he was perfect cast perfectly cast here because you know you needed somebody that leo was leo's character was okay walking around the island for a couple of days with that he could trust because you have a paranoid uh, schizophrenic which basically I think is what he was but you had this paranoid dude that 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 doesn't trust anybody you need somebody that he can trust it was trust. conscious yeah basically you know it, his it, it was it was the uh, angel on his shoulder type situation you know that that's why another thing with with this character which was kind of a uh, a uh, flashing red light for me was the fact that he didn't really do anything, you know, throughout the film, you know, besides talk to Leo, you know, Leo's character. Right. He was there for the the mission. Yeah, he was there for the mission where where Leo was the one the running around doing this and doing that and interviewing this and. You know, but he did. He did. What surprised me this time is because I remembered it like that. I remembered him as kind of being just responsive to Leo, which is what he does. Mm-hmm. He he basically he only responds to what Leo says, which is a good psychiatrist. I mean, you listen to what they say and you yeah. say, well, what do you think about that? How does he that didn't make act you, like a martial? How does really? that make you feel? You know, you're just responding. Um, but he did come up with a lot of things like like um, whenever they were talking about uh, we need to talk to Dr. Sheehan. Which is Mark Ruffalo's character, even though he was going by Chuck in this yeah. fantasy or whatever. Uh, they're like, you know, uh, he goes, well, we're going to need to talk to him. And he goes, oh, you can't. He left on the ferry this morning. And it was Mark Ruffalo who, talking about himself, was saying, you have a person missing, an escaped convict, and you're letting people go off the aisle. You know, like, so he was actually challenging them as well. Because, and I think that, you know, he had to do that a couple times to... Uh, basically to reinforce everything because this whole thing is a script okay so this isn't happening for the first time yep. they're playing it out for the first time mm-hmm. but this isn't the first time they've heard it in multiple sessions he's been here for two years in multiple sessions he's told this whole story ben kingsley character and mark ruffalo's characters has heard this story over and over yeah. and over again so they know it to a T. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like a script that they all know what's going to happen next and they know what's going to happen next, mm-hmm. you know, and and a, a, as it goes along. So they know exactly what he's going to say. They nine, know what he's going to say. Yep, he says time. the same thing every day. He talks about Rachel Solando, he talks about Andrew Latus, he talks about the 67th prisoner or the 67th person or whatever, a patient, that's what it is. And, you know, so they know all of this. They're just kind of letting it play out. Mm-hmm. All right, so yeah, so they, so they get on the uh, the island, uh, and and what I thought it was really cool, and you may not know, 
Well, it plays differently. So when they get off the boat, all the guards are walking around real nervous, staring intently at Leo's character. They all got their long guns, right? Mm -hmm. They're all, you know, kind of uh, just marching back and forth and watching him kind of like, you know, like predators, like jungle cats or something, you know, ready to pounce on him. Mm -hmm. And watching this without the knowledge you have, you know, for the first time, you're thinking, okay, this is already some shady stuff that's going on. The guards are being uncooperative. They should be friends with U.S. Marshals. They're both law enforcement, right? You know, that uh, or, or you know um, that that type of person. Um, but they're they're immediately immediately it gives that other sense of of threat. So, and it's not threat to anybody except for Leo's character. Yeah, because he's the patient. He's the dangerous one. And so you are put into Leo's shoes because you're thinking, why are these guys being such jackasses? They're not. They're responding normally to a dangerous patient who now is not in shackles, not in handcuffs, not he's given free reign to the island. They are nervous as hell. The most dangerous. Exactly. They said the he's island. the most paid, dangerous patient they have and everything. So they are on edge. But you look at it as what the hell is this guy? These guys problems. Oh, they're going to come against our our hero. Right. You know, and and so you, it, that's another way of putting you into the paranoia, into Leo's character's parent, into Teddy's paranoia or whatever. So, yeah. um, so we have some uh, anagrams in this movie. Um, Teddy latest, uh, T- Teddy latest, Teddy Daniels is an anagram for uh, for Andrew Latus. Um, Rachel Solando is an anagram for what was her name? Um, oh, Dolores. God. Dolores something. It was her maiden name. Yeah. Um, I can't remember what it was. It like, it's like Zant or I, I can't remember. But uh, basically the Dolores character who or the, who was uh, Leo's life, uh, wife in, you know, in reality in this movie, um, her, her, an anagram for her name is Rachel Solando. And Rachel just happens to be the name of his daughter. Yeah. That, that passed away and everything. So, Do you think that they were really on the boat? Uh, a lot of people don't think so. I, I think they did. I think that's why you have all those guards there. Because they got them on a boat. That what they based, And that, that, that even the boat guy was like, I'd appreciate it if you get off uh, as quickly as possible. Because mm-hmm. I get out of here. Yeah, it was the storm, but he didn't want this patient on his mm-hmm. boat anymore. Yeah. So I think what they did is got on the boat, they went out, and either they sedated him and had him wake up on the boat, or... As soon as he got on the boat, it was like, oh, it kick-started his, because yeah. his delusions are severe. Yeah. So as soon as they got on the boat, they basically turned it right around while he was downstairs throwing up and started head back towards the island, and all those guards were waiting. So I do. Um, you know, Shutter Island is also a uh, anagram for Truth and Lies. Uh, truth and Lies is an anagram of Shutter Island. Also, Truth and the word Denials. Mm-hmm is an anagram for Shutter Island. So another cool little thing. Uh, Warden is an anagram for Andrew. Yeah. Andrew Latus. So, I mean, and you don't ever hear anything. You don't give him a name. You know, Mm -hmm. the warden is just warden. Yeah. You know, and it's just like Andrew, and they talk about how they're both violent and all that. Mm -hmm. So, um, so, but basically, uh, they, those two kind of meet for the first time, and uh, and uh, he tells him about, uh, you know, it talks about, oh, if you have family, and he goes, oh, I had a wife, but she 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 died in a fire, mm-hmm. um, and he goes, it was the the smoke that killed her, not the fire. That's important. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of interesting. Uh, smoke that killed her, not the fire. 
yeah. not the agonizing pain, but the suffocation. Yeah. Suffocation like drowning. Yeah. You know, so that's that's kind of what I get. You know, there are th- certain things that are important to him. And a lot of Andrew Latus and Teddy Daniels life overlap each other. They both had a wife played by Michelle Williams. Right. They both served in World War Two. They were both U.S. Marshals yeah. and everything. But it was they didn't. Uh, and Teddy Daniels uh, reimagining of it. They lived in an apartment. Uh, they didn't have kids, and the apartment burned down. In real life, they did live into uh, an Andrew Latus burned down the apartment. Yeah. Um, in reality, she they did live in an apartment, but she burned it down mm-hmm. because she wasn't right. Yeah, you know, and so he moved them out to the cottage and ignored the problem yeah. instead of getting her help and everything. So and that's uh, why he took the blame for it. And, you know, right. And so, so basically, uh, you know, he tells, he tells the guy, Oh yeah, I have a wife, but you know, uh, she, or I had a wife, she died in a, in a, in a fire and everything. So they get to the Island. They basically told him, Oh, do you, you know what's going on here? And he goes, Oh, there's some missing person case. But what you don't know is that in Teddy's fantasy, he's, created this this uh this fiction about he he talked to this guy named george noyce and george noyce in this movie is played by jackie or haley which i guess was your favorite part of the movie right so he said he talked to this guy named george noyce at some kind of different other prison and he got out of george noyce that andrew latis is who burned down their apartment is in prison Mm -hmm. or as a patient at shutter island so Teddy has been waiting for a case to come for an excuse to come out to Shutter Island. And this one just happened to pop up as he right after he talked to George Noyce, this excuse happened to, to, to pop up for to for have him come to the island. So Mark Ruffalo's character, Chuck, is like, well, maybe that was on purpose. Maybe they created a missing person because they knew that you were looking for Andrew Latus. And now we're out here and they're going to make us prisoners. You know, that's what eventually happens. And who actually plays Latus. The, in his fantasy. In his fantasy is also uh, Chuck, or uh, um, Casey Jones. Casey Jones. Good old Casey Jones. Elias. Oh, uh, I, I Elias. Never, C- yeah, do Cotius. Cotius or, I don't know. He's He's been, he's kind of had like, a, felt like a resurgence a bit because uh, all I remember him was being in Ninja Turtles and then not a lot of other things. And I've seen him now in some other things. Um, yeah, but I based Casey Jones off of that dude. For any any portrayal of of Ninja Turtles, that you cannot beat the portrayal that he did in that film. No, no. I mean, he is Casey Jones. Yes. I mean, he he was all, he was also in a couple other things, Thin Red Line and stuff. The Shooter. He was he was in a, one of the most powerful uh, characters I think that he's played is another time when he was a fantasy character because in this movie he plays Andrew Latus, but that's a fantasy because he Le- Frankenstein Leonardo he? DiCaprio is Andrew Latus. Yeah. But no, he played a, a character. I don't know if he played that. He played what I'm talking about is he played a character in House. When House was trying, uh, when House got shot by somebody, um, he got shot by this uh, this character played by Elias Cotius. Uh, but you don't get to see what that character really thinks or acts like, mm-hmm. but you see how he acts as House imagines it, because House is hallucinating as well. Right. So it's it's kind of cool. Like, you know, if you're looking for a person that who's just going to play a hallucination, <laughs> go to this guy. Because yeah. he knows what he's doing, but he also played in a, in the Sopranos. He was also in the Sopranos. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Well, see, I, I say maybe he's had a resurgence. I guess he's just I, I just haven't been watching the stuff that he's been in, which is a shame. Yeah. But um, but yeah, so um, Chuck also waits for Teddy, as we were saying, he waits for Teddy to make the decision to give up his gun 
and he has to make he has to let Leo come up with the decisions, right? Yeah. He he lets Leo lead the way. He follows in his you know he he like you got to give up your guns, and he looks over at Leo like are we gonna give up our guns? You know, because he realizes that if they're forced to do it, this is not gonna work. Yeah. So he has to let Leo lead on every single thing that they do, which is another thing that gets kind of like where you're like, oh, that's something weird, especially when he disappears mm-hmm. three quarters of the way into the movie and you yeah. don't know where he went and everything. Then you're like, okay, is this guy part of it or whatever? But, um, you know, they, they give a flashback to his, um, to Teddy's, uh, or Leo's character's um, World War II days. Yeah. And uh, you talk about how they 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 came in uh, they came into uh, to liberate Duckow, mm-hmm. and um, they found the commandant on the ground. He had shot himself in the face. Mm-hmm. To he tried to kill himself, but he botched it. Mm-hmm. He fell down, and it took him an hour to die. But as they come in, he was looking. He was trying to get the gun so he could finish the job. Yeah. And uh, Leo's character, who was Andrew at this time, yeah. Andrew Latus, he with his foot moves the gun away and lets this guy suffer because he's garbage you know he he's a nazi he's a nazi and he did horrible terrible things so he wants him to suffer he wants him to suffer before he dies he wants it to be painful mm-hmm. so he lets him suffer and and go through the pain before he dies when the uh, the the prisoners they get the prisoners get brought or not the prisoners the guards when they surrender themselves they surrender themselves and in a war crime these American soldiers killed all these Nazis, just lined them up in a line and shot them dead. Mm-hmm. That's murder. That yeah. was that wasn't sanctioned by war. They had surrendered, you know. So, um, so so he's had this violence in him, right? Yeah. This severe severe violence in him, and and he has no patience for people that commit violence, whether they're crazy or not. Um, there's there's a couple times I think when whenever they're uh, what are the, the the times when they're talking about? Um, oh, screw their sense of calm. He said, you know, they, they got paintings in there so to keep the prisoners calm. And he's like, these people and everything. He's like, no, like you could tell this character of Teddy has no uh, no tolerance for people that are violent that have committed these crimes, whatever. It's almost a hatred. Yeah. And and you could see that self hatred in the way that Teddy views the patients versus the way that Andrew is. Because Teddy in this movie is very um, uh, pulpish. You know, like he's very exaggerated. Like the way he smokes a cigarette on the the boat, you know. And just like, yeah, see, you know, kind of the way he's talking, you know. Like it's kind of like these movies back in the 50s or whatever. He's or like most... Scorsese movies in a way. Maybe, yeah. But, I mean, he's just very exaggerated. But then when he turns to, when he comes back to consciousness as Andrew, yeah, he's a lot different. Yeah. But. Um, well, if you notice, is what was it? There, there's one scene where he's smoking a cigarette and it's a flashback of um, the, mur- the murders that um, Rachel won, which that's what they're calling her, Rachel won. <laughs> But Emily Mortimer, when she killed her kids because they were looking for Rachel, right? He's smoking a cigarette. And if you notice, the smoke's going backwards. Yeah, I scene. saw that. You caught that? Yeah. 
and a lot of that's to make the the viewer feel uncomfortable. That's what uh, you yeah. know. Martin Scorsese said he put in inaccuracies, like yeah. the band aid moving or mm-hmm. the glass not being there or whatever. Inaccuracies yeah. to make you put you at an unease and make you feel uncomfortable yeah. to put you in Teddy's shoes. Yeah, make you feel that paranoia when he's looking at himself in the mirror on the boat when mm-hmm. it first opens up. You're not looking at him from behind or whatever. You're looking straight at him in the mirror. Mm-hmm. You know, it's basically he's looking right at the camera. So you are him. Mm-hmm. So he really wants to put you in this place and, and make you as paranoid as you can. Yeah. You know, that's why when he's passion patients and they're like doing the shh sign to him and doing yeah. all that, they all know he's a patient there. Yeah. Just like whenever he's interviewing her and she grabs his notebook and puts run. It's like, this is the only opportunity you have. Get yeah. out of here. That type of thing. You know, but... Um, so then the investigation starts, and we don't have to go through the whole thing. Yeah, but it's it's a lot of uh, a lot of contrivances. It all stems from his paranoia. Yeah. Okay, so we'll just state flat out: this is what happened um, back in World War II. There was a guy named Andrew Latus. This is Leonardo DiCaprio, and he went to World War II. He went to the war, found, liberated this Nazi camp, saw horrors in the war, saw all these bodies frozen out there. And it was the most horrifying moment of his life is walking into this concentration camp, seeing what had been done to these prisoners, seeing what uh, uh, what horrors they went through, and then what their retribution was for it, mm-hmm. making the commandant suffer and shooting and murdering all these people. That was the worst time of his life. He comes home, starts a family, becomes a U.S. Marshal, and he goes straight into drinking. You know, all he does is drink and he does his job. So when he's at his job, he does his job. When he's at home, he drinks. He's he's disconnected. He's barely at home. Probably. And that's what caused the fire originally, right? Yeah, because she uh, she set the fire. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and so, you know, and it burned down the apartment building. They had to move out into the country and they brought their kids out there. They thought it would be a healthy or he thought it would be a healthy situation. But he had people telling him something's not right with her. Yeah. You need get to help. You need to get her help. But again, back then, what could you do? Yeah. There's not a whole lot you could do because, uh, you know, basically he didn't get her help like he should have. Mm-hmm. Uh, they came out to the uh, country and they stayed out there and she was getting progressively worse, but he wasn't paying attention. Um, he's still dealing with the horrors of what he saw in the war. And so he's just throwing himself into work and drink. He comes home one day after a uh, after a, a manhunt. And he comes in the backyard, and uh, he sees he sees his wife's. She's completely wet, swinging on their little wooden swing. Deal and that's right a key by the part lake. of the film as well. By saying, you know, why are you wet? Yeah, you'll hear it a few times in this movie, baby. Why are y'all wet, baby? Why are y'all wet? I missed you. Where are the kids? They're in school. It's Saturday, honey. School's not in on Saturday. My school is... Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I I know that the doctors do it just to kind of click something in his head. Yeah. Like uh, whenever he gets into the lighthouse, you know, and... uh, 
you had Ben Kingsley character, you know, saying, uh, why are you all wet, baby? Yeah. <laughs> Which sounded weird for him to say yeah. to Leo DiCaprio, but you realize why. Well, it kind of brings me back to The Mandalorian, because I, I, to be honest with you, I thought that was Ben Kingsley's worst uh, acting job as The Mandalorian, but it was in, in Iron Man. Oh, okay. I was Not like, the Mandalorian. The, uh, yeah, uh, the, the the Mandarin. Mandarin. There we go. Because <laughs> oh, I was sitting there. I was like, that was Pedro Pascal. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Um, you know, it just, I thought that was the worst portrayal that he's, uh, worst acting he's ever done, but it was supposed to be that way. He was really good. It was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. But did you know they're bringing in the uh, the yes, actual Mandarin in yeah. the, the 12 Rings, the yes, Shang-Chi? Yes, I can't wait for that. I watched a TV show called uh, uh, Kim's Convenience. It's a Canadian television show. Uh-huh. Hilarious. And the the son on that show is Shang Chi. Oh, and and uh, when I found that out, I was like, oh, awesome! Uh, the, he's such a good actor, you know. But I digress. Yeah. So basically, he comes out there and he goes and he looks at her and uh, he's like, "Are you all right?" And she just like comes and gives him this weird hug and she's not talking. And he goes, "Why are y'all wet, baby?" And uh, she talks about oh, we should move back to the city. We should we go out should, or something. Dude, yeah, I think she was talking about moving back. She she didn't like being because she was out by herself yeah. with the kids out in the country and all this kind of stuff. And then he it kind of dawns on him. He's like, "Where are the kids?" Mm-hmm. And that's when he looks over and he sees these three things floating in the lake. And he looks back at her and sees that she's wet. And uh, he's like, "Oh my god." <laughs> And this is all at the end that he's remembering. And this is the intensity of that scene. Probably why I can't remember what she was saying, because I mean, I knew it's hard to watch. Yeah, it's very hard to watch. And almost, you know, once he brings the kids in and tries to give CPR to the one daughter that he seems Rachel's dream quite often, you know, um, he sees her as part of the concentration camp. He yeah. sees her as part of Rachel's yeah. murders. And then you get to see who she actually is to him. Yeah. And, and the fact that when he comes back to her, he ends up shooting his wife. But, right? but, but before that, like that, when he's pulling him out of the water and he's got like all three on his shoulders yeah. and he's just screaming in agony. <clears throat> how can somebody, an actor, like I guess that's an actor. Yeah. But I mean, it shows his. But, but how does even an actor pull an experience like that he doesn't have kids and i I always tell people i'm like you know and it sounds crappy to say but you just don't know how it is to have kids until you have kids yeah it's like it's unfathomable yeah you know so it's it's one of those things like i I don't know how he pulls it but and it's been said uh one of the one of the best acting jobs of all of leo's uh career is this of of him just being in agonizing pain, realizing that all three of his kids have been drowned by his wife in it's the lake. not hanging off that door in Titanic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just will never let go. Never let go. Oh, he let go. <laughs> he did let so go. Well, she, no, she let him go. They both let yeah. each other go. So, uh, but then, yeah, he drags him back and then he positions them. He lays them out and kind of folds their arm, makes them look gentle. He's, you don't see his character being gentle in this movie much, but he's real gentle with his children and folding their arms and, you know, and then he takes his daughter's shoe off and just starts rubbing her foot and everything and just watching her and crying. I love this movie, but it is so hard to watch that part yeah. and everything. But then she gets in the midst of him being 
the Nazi thing was bad. Yeah. This is worse. Yeah. And in the midst of him going through this, For him, she playfully gets in his lap while he's trying to mourn his daughter mm-hmm. and smiling as she says it is like, let's put them at the table, Andrew. We'll dry them off. We'll change their clothes. They'll be our living dolls. Huh? Somehow we could take them on a picnic. And he's just like, you know, he can't comprehend. His yeah. mind is snapping right now. Yeah. It's just breaking apart into little pieces and this everything. This is where his psychosis started. Right. And I think, yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I think he always had it. I think he always had this anger in him that was Teddy. He's probably barely holding on uh, up until that point. I mean, using the alcohol for self-medication yeah. and things like that. But I think he was, he was still, he was still holding on by a tether. Yeah. You know, but then this broke that. Because they say that psychotic, people that deal with psychotic issues, they have those, they have little signs and have little things that you could recognize from an early age. Yeah. And his violence, his tendency to have no remorse for the guard, uh, the commandant guy to shoot those prisoners like he did mm-hmm. and everything. Those are how he responds in violence. Yeah. And that is Teddy coming out, I think, because, yeah. uh, you know, Andrew is Andrew seems like the more, um, you know, he's the one that's remorseful about what happened. Yeah. And so he created Teddy so he doesn't have to deal with it and everything like that. But I mean, I think that's part of his anger and stuff coming out. But he um she, you know, she's like, let's do it. But then right before, uh, right after she says, let's do the dolls, um, he, he just kind of like looking at her like, if you ever want me, Dolores, please stop talking. I love There's no helping this person. And even if you do help her, she's just murdered her children. What kind of a life is she going to have? Not that I'm not sitting here justifying him killing her. But I mean, in that mind with him in that, in that moment with his mental state, the way it is, he's, it's completely broken and he's probably falling away as we speak or as they speak. Um, she said, set me free. And he did. He shot her. He killed and, and killed his wife. And nobody really and I think knows that, how somebody would feel until they experience something like that and, and are in that moment, you know, because we are just humans, you know, and, and we're, you kind of, in a way, you kind of like, well, she kind of deserved it. You know what I mean? But well, yeah, we want time, to say that. We want to say that. I mean, we know that that's not right. <laughs> right. But at the same time, you sit there and you're like, she kind of got what she deserved on that situation. You know what I mean? In, in a way, I mean, she wanted it, you know, but she was totally nuts at this point. Right. You know? and, and 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 murdering her at that point would be the same uh, thing as, as murdering uh, an infant. 
Yeah. That doesn't know any better. Yeah. Because she was not in her right mind. Yeah. What she did was neither was he at that point. Exactly. So they both weren't in their right mind, and and uh, you know, and he he reacted, I think, with a bit of anger. That was a bit of that anger coming through as well. There's no justification for what he did, but at the same time, it's like, you know, somebody that has that mental break. You're thinking, you're like, well, you know, not not that she deserved it, but the fact is, is she killed all his children in one shot. You know, you see, you know, what about that lady that ended up drowning like three of her kids or something in the bathtub, you know, and the husband, you know, was just distraught after that fact, you know what I mean? But I mean, he didn't caught her. I mean, she went to prison. I think she got the death sentence. I don't know. But it's just kind of the same situation where, you know, as a man, you feel helpless you know, and he felt so helpless in that situation because he could not bring him back. He was trying to bring him back. He was trying to give him CPR, all that kind of stuff. But he knew at that point when he's pulling him out of the lake that there's no going back at that point. So I think, you know, each step he took with his children, uh, a bit of his 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 mental his mentality was just stripped away as each step he took out of that lake. When do you think he decided he was going to kill her? I think the moment he was, uh, as he's walking up to the beach with his children, I, th- I think really? he, he thought, because if you look at him when he was, um, you know, he had no remorse in that, that prison camp, you know, that wasn't even his children. That was other people's children. That was, you know, a, a, a mass amount of people that the Nazis were killing. And he had no, no disregard for for these. But they kind of looked like they were figuring out what they wanted to do because they were lining them up. And it was only when one one uh, Nazi guard took off running, somebody shot him, and then they all kind of looked around and then they all just started shooting. Yeah. It was almost like it was spontaneous. It could have been like, hey, let's line these guys up, don't give it away, but we're going to kill them. But, but what, what, what else What else would those Nazis think yeah. that they were doing if they were lining them up on a fence? Maybe they just said, let's line you up and get you processed. Maybe they were planning on doing that, or they didn't really want to, and they were just like waiting for one little thing, one little reason to kill him. I don't know. I am kicking away that gun from that cop as well. You know, he did that singular, singularly. Right. You know what I mean? It wasn't something that somebody else did or something, you know, somebody else was doing. He did yeah, that he all He wanted by that himself. guy to suffer. He yeah, wanted he, him to suffer. So, <laughs> so I feel like... You know, again, you know, my children come first. Right. You know, God comes first, then my children. Right. And then everything else follows along. You know, my wife, you know, all that other stuff. But, you know, if somebody does that to right. my kids, I don't know what mentality I'm going to be in. I, I can't even imagine being in, uh, in any kind of right mentality, you know. Um, and, and I feel like as he's pulling them both out of, you know, all three out of the lake, maybe it was going through his head. Oh, maybe I can save one of them. I honestly just think that he was he was so uh, falling apart. He was so devastated and just dead inside from what just happened. I don't think he was really making any kind of decisions of what to do next. He was like kind of going through motions, bringing his kids up, just absolutely devastated. I think that there could have been like like what am I going to do about this in his head? Mm-hmm. I honestly, what made the decision for me, I think, uh, or for him, is what I think. Uh, is is her her saying that and her saying uh, set me free yeah because he didn't help her up to then and I think that in his mind in his messed up mind he felt like he was finally doing something to help her but at the same time too is that with her starting that fire you know she knew uh, he knew well that his kids were there you know and that I, she, but did they have the kids when the fire was going we don't know that though. yeah so yeah. we don't know if they had the kids before but, they left the apartment or after but he also knows that 
what mindset she was in. If she was able to do that to herself, exactly. then, you know, we can assume that maybe they had one or two of the kids and that she could have done that. She, you know, knowing that starting that fire wouldn't just hurt her, but it would hurt anybody else in that building. It could be what I think, what I think happened. And that's just, this is my personal opinion. I think that they didn't have kids until they moved out of there because that way he can keep in his memory and Teddy's memory in the fake him he can keep that that's where we lived and that's where she died yeah because there was no kids when they were there so he's he feels comfortable talking about because if you look he actually took the the two most traumatic uh experiments he melds the two most awful experiences in his life together to concoct his past his past is he served in the war true yep he did what he did with the commandant and shot all those people. Well, the commandant may be true. Now, at the end, remember, they said you may or may not have executed all those Nazis. So that may not have even happened. It may have just been something that that Teddy created. Yeah. But either way, uh, I think that it did happen. Uh, but he mailed those, too. I mean, he, he was at the, the Nazis. They lived in an apartment building, which is true. The, and then from that point on is where it breaks, and he creates a different rested... Why did the apartment burn down? Instead of her burning it down, it was Andrew Latus who burned it down, and he killed his wife, which is true. Andrew Latus killed Teddy's wife, right? But he also because he was Andrew's children too, because he, you know, he felt that because he didn't get her any help, it was his fault that his children died, right? You know, and and again, you know, taking on that kind of that much pain and that much trauma, you know, it you don't know which broke him first, you know, in that sense, you know, was it was it the the realization that he you know that she killed his children or that he killed it he felt like he killed his children by not getting her help that was that was the and i think it was even mentioned in the movie is that uh he even said i killed my children and whenever he had broken and he through crying, it, and he became and, andrew yeah. again at the end yeah. uh he goes and he, he he goes i didn't get her the help so i basically killed my children yeah. why did you make them up Because I can't take knowing that Dolores killed our children. I mean, I... I killed them because I didn't... I didn't get her help. You know? I killed them. Uh, so anyways, yeah, so he comes, he's, he's now concocted this story about um, uh, a missing patient, Rachel Solando, um, who is, he's trying to figure out how he can deal with this. And so he turns himself and his wife into two different characters, completely different names. Uh, Rachel is the one that he dreams of all the time. That's his daughter and all that. Uh, but, you know, you, you have different things like the fake Rachel that's in the caves or, well, the first fake Rachel that's... There's essentially like four Rachels in the in this entire movie. And if I had four Rachels, because I only have one... Yeah, that's, that's four, way too much. It'd be way too much. <laughs> way too many Rachels. No, way too many Rachels. Uh, so... Uh, I, and I thought that was a fault in this movie. I really did think that was a fault in this movie by having, you know, like, okay, I understand having the two separate ones, you know, and then using the daughter as 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 the uh, as the name and everything else like that. And I understand having the younger Rachel, but the one in the cave, I thought I thought they could have done without that part, in my honest opinion. Yeah, I think that was just another last red herring to throw out there. Oh, this is the real Rachel. They are really trying to make him go insane, and he really is a, a sane person. I think it was just like a last he little... accidentally found her, you know? Something. I think it was maybe they had... 
you know, they'd given you all this stuff, and it was it was right before going to the lighthouse, yeah. right? It was right before that punch of going. I mean, he did go back to the the hospital first, and then go to the lighthouse. But it was right. You needed one last little punch of not trusting what's going on to be able to then, when the the when they reveal the reveal. Yeah. It's like, oh, because now you've got, we've set you on this thing. We're like, okay, now you really don't trust these prison people here because here she is in a cave in hiding the real Rachel. And and I think subconsciously he didn't want to go to the lighthouse because his subconscious, you know, which, which would be at this point in the movie, Andrew was his subconscious kind of was, was trying to you know everybody and everything was trying to push him to the lighthouse if you noticed it was always oh we can't get down there right now uh, the storm's coming you know we can't get down to the lighthouse you know let's go to the lighthouse but in the subconscious andrew knew that that was the ultimate goal more and more of the andrew lighthouse. was coming out yes and because to to that would prove because even his hallucination so in my my view you know michelle williams is the ultimate villain i guess in this movie oh, absolutely not and not like no not i think meaning he to. was the ultimate villain yeah and not meaning to like she killed his kids so you're supposed to not like her and everything like or just think that she's crazy or whatever um but she was also being deceptive in his imagination so yeah. he was teddy teddy created her not created her but uh, but uh had her and remember he uh, she he called her dolores yeah. but uh he had her around and she was saying things like um uh, you can't you can't go to don't go to the lighthouse because he knew that that was all fake at the lighthouse and he would find out that it's fake and that Teddy would be gone and Andrew would come back and Teddy would be gone forever. And she even said, if you go there, you're going to die, meaning Teddy yeah. will die because yeah. Andrew will come back. Andrew will realize it that was this a is just a fantasy. Yeah. yeah. So they're trying to keep him away so he can stay in his fantasy so he doesn't have to deal with the pain. And George Noyce even says, you have to let her go. And he goes, I, and that uh, that scene, whenever his voice cracks and he's like, I can't. Do you want to go to that? That yeah, I mean, we're there. I mean, that the fact that he goes, he goes, I can't. And he goes, you have to. And he goes, and his voice cracks. He's like, I can't. Like that was a little bit of Andrew coming through. I think. Yeah. That was him going, I can't let her go. You know, because yeah, it's just too much. And then you know, Teddy's Teddy's there or whatever. Because we're introduced into the scene with with and and again, it's my favorite scene of the movie. You know, if I were to say one, is my favorite scene. But you know, you get there with, with so the the storm knocks out all the power on the yeah. island. Him and Ruffalo sneak off, sneak. Yeah, they, you know they go off to Ward C so he can maybe talk to George, see yeah. what's there, or whatever, and then we're and, and and so we're introduced to it. And as far as we're seen as an audience, if you didn't already guess it like I did, but we're we're introduced to that scene where basically you know George Noyce is looked I, Noyce. Noice. I just want to say that every time. Yeah, because if you're a fan of Brooklyn Nine Nine yeah, and you know you know Andy Samberg, he goes noise. Yeah, but you know you're introduced to him, and you know as far as you're concerned, he's the nutball. He's the insane one. You know George Noyce is the the crazy guy. Right. Who's behind he, bars and who's, who's on the other bars, side of bars? You know, and and so as far as you know, you know he's the crazy one, and you know Teddy is. Like what happened to you? You know why are you here? You know because this where he's at it happens to be for the the worst of the worst, the worst of the worst. And George is his face is like dough. You know it's yeah. just been pummeled and beaten. Which to Which we find out later, it's actually Leo's character is the one that did that. I like it. Who did this to you, George? You did. 
Yeah, because uh, they said at the beginning, they said, you uh, killed him. they said, um, what did they say? They said, um, oh, we had a patient who uh, like badly beat up another patient or something like yeah. that, almost killed him. They didn't say who it was. Yeah. But that that's one of those things. But and you find he even says, he's like, you know, how did you, how did you end up? Who did this to you? He's yeah. Like, and you and did. Yes. And Jackie Earl Haley is, is actually, even though, you know, Leo's Andrew is the one that did it to him. He's still trying to help him in a way. She's dead. Let her go. Let her go. Tell him, Teddy. Tell him why. You gotta do it. There's no other way. Let her go. Tell him about the day you brought me my locket. You gotta do it! Oh, I told you my heart was breaking and you asked me why. She's... Fucking with your head. And I told you it was from happiness. She's gonna kill you. She's gonna kill you. You wanna uncover the truth? You gotta let her go. I can't. You have to let her go! I can't! I can't! Then you'll never leave this island. You, the, he was probably afraid of Leo's character because we find out at the end of the movie, Leo is the most dangerous person on the island. Which Not is because weird. he's the craziest, but because he's the most trained. Because he was a, he was a soldier first, he was a U.S. Marshal second, you know, and and he's the most trained. He he's a, he's a trained killer. He but really he's the, is a trained killer. The least imposing guy, though. He's very the least. <laughs> yeah, he's the least imposing guy. It's but hard it, to make Leo like like you know whenever you see like I don't know. He, any any but he, but you know his character is the most violent person there. Right. But he's the most trained violent person there, which that's what makes him dangerous. And why did he beat up him? Why did he beat George Noyce up? Do you remember? Probably. Uh, no, they said it. Do you oh, remember? Was it because he kept he talked about his wife and stuff? He right? called him. He called him Andrew Latus. Yes. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And and of course, Teddy. You know, if you call try to call on him, Latus. One, in his mind, he's you just called him the killer of his wife. Yeah. Two, to Andrew's mind, you know, that's him. Yeah. And he doesn't want to hear it. Yeah. And but you know, just that. He did not. Jackie or O'Haley, did, you know, his character did not want to show his face, you know, yeah. and but he, then when he finally did, you know, Leo's like, oh, oh, I'm trying to help you. I, I want to help you. I'm going to try to, you know, get you out of here. I'm going to try to, you know, uh, help you. You know, get you some help. You know what I mean? Because you had other other people running around. You know, you had other crazy people, a bunch of crazy people running around, and so who you know, he almost killed. You, right, right. But he's he's trying to help him, and you know, he's he's. But he's also not playing along like the doctors and the and the warden and the cops and everybody else that's playing along here. But George Noyce, he didn't he believe in like the experiments that were going on. I can't he, remember. He did. If he, did. he did. But but he wasn't trying to to you know he wasn't he didn't think that it was helping Andrew by by playing along with his psychosis. Well, and it seems like maybe they shared some kind of a semblance of a friendship. Yeah, like a bond because of some sort. yeah, because I mean if he he George Noyce is now part of his fantasy, yeah. Teddy's fantasy that he repeats day mm-hmm. after day after day after day is that he's talking to this guy George. He said that Andrew Latus was in this prison. You know, so when he's talking to George, George isn't in Shutter Island and later and Teddy isn't in Shutter Island. Yeah. They're at some other prison mm-hmm. and Teddy's outside of the prison talk, but they were probably just talking through their cells or whatever. Yeah. So 
it, Mark Ruffalo's character just disappears, you know. Through. Yeah, yeah. Well, he went to go help somebody, but you would think he'd be like, no, I'm not helping you with this yeah. guy. i got to watch the most dangerous patient. on. Yeah. Unless they wanted him to have some kind of uh, free run of the place. I mean, I imagine when he went out on the cliffs and went down the cliffs and up the cliffs, there was probably but somebody did he really watching do him. That, though, you know, I mean, it's kind of one of those things where you're like, did he really go down there? I mean, obviously, he didn't really see this Rachel character like you thought he did. No, I guess. but I mean, did he imagine going? You're talking about, did he imagine climbing down the rocks, finding that the body wasn't there, seeing the cave, going and talking to her, and then climbing up to the yeah. top of the rocks? Yeah. Because he apparently it was the ne- that night he fell asleep there, and she said, "You have to leave, or else they'll find me." You know, and because he th- thinks he sees his partner at the bottom of the cliff, somehow, some way, he just ended up. Because that was one of the big things that I was like, "How is this dude scaling this rock face? That's so saying. hard." So yeah, maybe that was maybe he just hallucinated. He was just stood there the whole time, and Ruffalo just walked yeah. away, knowing, yeah. Okay, I got to be gone for this part of the the Your scenario. Your psychiatrist wouldn't have left you on the side of a cliff that could have. He might have. If it's about letting him play out the thing, he might have been like, "Okay, this is where he imagines that I've disappeared now, so I got to go." Because remember, they know that this. They know the whole play. You know, they know yeah. it from front to back or whatever. <laughs> they just don't know what happens when he actually goes to the lighthouse. Because remember, he didn't want to go to the lighthouse. Uh, but and he didn't want to go in water. But at the very end, as he's shedding more and more of of Teddy, Teddy yeah, he then can deal with going in the water, mm-hmm. and he can swim to the lighthouse and everything. So, uh, one one more thing I wanted to do. Well, there are a couple more things that I want to talk about, but um, uh, I want to get into the scene with the warden. Uh, what were your What were your opinions on the warden? I kind of felt like the warden respected. It kind of respected him because, you know, the warden is not a doctor. You know, he's he's straight law enforcement, right? Mm-hmm. So, I but I, I played feel, by the amazing Ted Levine, who also was Buffalo Bill in yes, uh, Silence of the Lambs. Awesome. And uh, but but I kind of felt like he he respected he respected Andrew, not not so much Teddy, but he respected Andrew because, for one, he was prior law enforcement. He was a World War Two vet. And, you know, I think in a, in a way, I mean, it wasn't stated, but in a way he felt like, okay, this guy's crazy because his wife killed three of his children and he, and he is in here because he had a mental break, um, for killing his wife for killing his children, you know? So I kind of felt in a way that he still had a, a, a bit of respect for Andrew, even though he was crazy. I agree with you and I'll meet you at that point, but... I think he only respects him for his violence. Okay. Because the warden is a very awful, violent person. Yeah. Uh, here's the scene. Do you enjoy God's latest gift? What? God's gift. The violence. When I came downstairs in my home and I saw that tree in my living room, it reached out for me a divine hand. God loves violence. I hadn't noticed. <laughs> sure you have. Why else would there be so much of it? It's in us. It's what we are. We wage war, we burn sacrifices, and pillage and plunder, and tear at the flesh of our brothers. And why? Because God gave us violence to wage in his honor. 
thought God gave us moral order. There's no moral order as pure as this storm. There's no moral order at all. There's just this. Can my violence conquer yours? Not violent. Yes, you are. You're as violent as they come. I know this because I'm as violent as they come. With the constraints of society were lifted, and I was all that stood between you and a meal, you would crack my skull with a rock and eat my meaty parts. Wouldn't you? Crowley thinks you're harmless, that you can be controlled, but I know different. You don't know me. Oh, but I do. No, you don't, you don't oh, know me. Oh, I know you. We've known each other for centuries. If I was to sink my teeth into your eye right now, would you be able to stop me before I blinded you? Give it a try. That's the spirit. So uh, what I think it is, the warden is sadistic. I think uh, not really sadistic, but he's one of these that doesn't care. He doesn't care about what he's there for. He's there just to keep people in line. He doesn't care about if they get healthy, if they get better. To him, to the doctors, their patients, as stated throughout this movie, the marshal was kind of on the warden's side. He's like, so these prisoners, and the doctors say, patients. And he goes, patience, you know, but the that's how the prison guards, that warden see them. They're, they're not patients, they're prisoners. Yeah. We need to keep how you get them in line. So I think he has a respect for him. One, he like, he knows like, like this dude, World War II vet, U.S. Marshal. That's great. what I was saying. Yeah. But I think he also sees weakness in him because he let himself become one of these murderous people or at least got caught for it or something like that. You I, know? I, I think what, yeah. And I think the caught with caught with it kind of thing but i think he feels like he's cut from the same cloth as him you know i think in a, in a way i felt like he looked the warden looked up to him the warden feels like he's justified in using the violence he uses yes. but um, not 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 as teddy as andrew no no yeah yeah the warden himself feels like he's justified in the in being violent yeah yeah because yeah. i'm a prison guard these are violent people i can do whatever i want to yeah. i'm this is this my violence is justified your violence was justified when you were at war. When you yeah. shot all those men, good job, and all this kind of stuff. He doesn't see it as a moral conundrum. Yeah. He sees it as violent begets violence. You know, those violent people committed the violent acts against uh, the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. The, you committed violence against the, you conquered their violence with your violence, you yeah. know, by killing them, by making this guy suffer. By I, I think he was, he, he was done. He didn't want to play along. He Even he by killing to. his wife. Yes, yes, exactly. And that's what I was saying is that he didn't want, I don't think the warden wanted to play along with this ruse. No. He wanted, oh, no. him, he wanted him to be Andrew. He wanted him to snap. Too. He wanted him to be, he wanted him to snap. But he respected Andrew. He did not respect Teddy. I felt like he respected the Andrew character, but he didn't respect Teddy because... Well, yeah, that he, was a fantasy. He It was a fantasy, but in a way, you know, the Teddy had a little bit of that moral compass still, where Andrew did not have that moral compass. I mean, even down to the point where he was constantly drinking and things like that, you know, he, he really had... No moral compass as Andrew. Yeah. Where Teddy had a bit of a moral compass. That's why before he snapped Fixing the mistakes right then, that he maybe made or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. And right before he snapped right then, you know, Teddy still had a little bit of moral compass to him until 
the <laughs> warden said what he said, and then there you see Andrew. I think it's it's it's, it's a fact that the warden didn't didn't want any of this to happen. He's not, uh, but it's since it's not a prison, it's a hospital. Yeah, he didn't have control over that. He's in charge of like the overall security He's and doing keeper, all that, basically. But the doctors are in charge of how they do things. So he had to go along with this. But I think that conversation was trying to get him to snap because he he would rather just have this guy lobotomized because the warden's violence should be supreme in this prison. Yeah, and he's sick of uh, Andrew's violence causing all these issues he'd like nothing more than to take his club and crack it against the guy's skull and tip him over the cliffs and be done with it that's how i feel now yeah i think he had a certain type of respect but it was more of a i don't know a sick type of respect for andrew a a lion looking at another lion rather than a lion looking at some prey something like that yeah like he had like a sadistic respect for for probably what he did in the war and and what he did to his wife his retribution the warden probably thought yeah good for you you know but but now he's like this weak damaged mental patient yeah and so the warden automatically sees him as weak and everything so i just thought that whole that whole scene was played, and you know the warden wasn't developed at all. No, he wasn't supposed to be part of this conspiracy. Yeah, he was only there for the reality. You yeah. saw him one time in the movie, and then the next time you see him, he's picking uh, Teddy Andrew up and driving, and they have this conversation. He just so happens to know where he's at. Exactly, and I so, and that's why I think that he was probably being watched while all this was happening and all this kind of stuff. He picks him up, and he takes him back there to to the 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 uh, hospital or whatever. And he's just there to make a point that, you know, you're a violent son of a bitch, and that's good, but my violence bleep, bleep. is going gonna, is gonna to reign supreme yeah. here, you know, and I'm going to do, and, and he probably does this to many patients, yeah. pokes and prods at him, you know, maybe even messing up the doctor's work. Who he, knows? He plays very, very good sadistic roles. Uh the actor does you know he plays because he's got that unique voice and so when he monologues smiles well you know and and the way he can kind of roll his sentences and he just yeah so um uh, I like how uh, he's more real as latest, whereas Teddy was kind of like this caricature of a, of a, an inspector, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you know, he kind of had this attitude. I don't know. He just seemed like more warm and real as Andrew. Like I had know that Andrew was capable of all that violence and stuff that he did. But I, I obviously I, I don't think that, that that Andrew that we see at the end of the movie that's come back is the same Andrew that committed those the crimes against the Nazis and his wife and all this kind of stuff. Um, so. This discussion wouldn't be complete unless we talk about that last line. So this is what makes this is what elevates this movie. I don't. I think before this line, it probably would have been for me going like, eh, all right, whatever. But this last line is what makes it for me, and I know it was. This what makes it for a lot of people. Um, it's what elevates it miles above the pulp horror, you know, noir uh, is trying to be or whatever. The fact that everything amounted to nothing. And he just regressed again. Yeah. Do uh, you like that? I mean, what 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 is what what hits you harder? Uh, the the fact that everything uh, amounted to nothing and he just regressed again, or that it worked, but he chose to wipe it all away again because it was too hard to live with. I just felt like they could have ended it when you know he's sitting on the bed and he's crying and he he going detail for detail, you know, knowing the exact year and everything else, what ended up happening. I know why you don't like this movie. 
Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, well, well, I just just listening to you now. I just figured out why. Just you don't like seeing this they could have ended it right then, and not even told us if if he ended up getting cured or if he ended up getting released or if if you know what whatever ended up happening. They could have ended it right there, but the most powerful thing in this movie was Mark Ruffalo, his look when he looked at Ben Kingsley and shook his head. Yeah, that was the most powerful thing in this movie. I think. I think you don't like this movie because you are like me. You're you're a guy that likes happy yeah, endings. Yeah. So when it's left either up to the imagination or it's a ending that doesn't end up too very good for the character, it's like a tragic ending, yeah. then you don't like it. Now, if he had sat in that bed and came back to it and he's like, you know, I murdered my wife and it kind of zoomed in on his face and then it ended, you could yeah. assume, oh, okay, he's getting better. Yeah. But with the ending they put, no matter if you think he was cured or not, he's getting lobotomized. Yeah. So it's a bad ending. Yeah. It's a, well, it's not a bad ending. It's a tragic ending. It's a, ter- it's, it's a, 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 not a happy ending. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's probably that's probably why well, and, it affects and, you so much. And it, it basically goes to explain that the reason they're lobotomizing him is because he takes up ninety percent of the staff, the doctors, everybody on this island's time, the 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 warden, everybody's time. You know, ninety percent of their time is focused on this one patient. Probably, and Ben Kingsley even says, you know, besides the whole fact of you're our most violent patient. Yeah, he's like, I would love to let you just live in your fantasy. Yeah, if that's all it was, and you wanted to like solve crimes all day, I would, and think that we're monsters doing science experiments. I'd love to let you live in your fantasy, but you're violent, mm-hmm. Andrew. You are our most violent prisoner we have. I can't let you live like they probably have a lot of people there that are like Andrew and live in a fantasy world mm-hmm. and they they can't make any breakthroughs. So they just kind of medicate them and let them kind of be in their world and live their life like that. Yeah. They can't do that with Andrew because one, he it has to do with the prison that he's in and everything. Yeah. He's fighting people. He's violent and all that. So they can't. Yeah. And which is what I think you were getting at. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's just because so much of their time is focused on one patient and you know they have so many other patients there and he's hurting other patients and everything else and like you said you know he's the most violent one it's just they they their hands are tied you know there's nothing else they they can do and they're hoping so badly that if you know they're letting him play it out to the fullest effect not just you know partially not just uh you know oh it's an everyday thing with him you know they're letting everything happen you know fully to see if that this will solve that problem yeah when in in turn you know last resort yeah i mean when in turn nowadays they don't go as far i'm sure as you know lobotomizing i don't even know if that's legal anymore but all i do know is that you know they could have just thrown them in a prison cell you know and there has been a renewed interest in it yeah in in doing brain stuff like that because as we now are mapping more parts of the brain we understand it better yeah there's more interest in going and fiddling around whereas a while ago it was like now nah, it's just pharmaceuticals and yeah and, and let's just cut out chunks of brain you know and see if this works you know what i mean but but if it, as we come into the very end there you know i mean everything's all you know sun and roses and and just beautiful and it's so bright and even the buildings look like fresh and new and and you know where at the beginning of the movie the the buildings everything look was cloudy down and, and yeah you know and we get to the end there and you know mark ruffalo is you know obviously he's a good doctor 
you know, because he's willing to try anything, you know, as to for his patient. But, you know, it's it, I well, think, Mark Revlo is like his day to day doctor. Yeah. Whereas Ben Kingsley is more of a kind of overseeing yeah. the whole thing. But that's why they put Mark Ruffalo's character in there, because he's day to day. Leo's going to trust yeah. him more. Yeah. And, and, and I feel like, you know, it, it wasn't so much just, you know, they, they wanted to cure him because of what he was as a person before his real mental break. You know, I mean, he was always a violent person, but, you know, saying, you know, basically they were saying, you know, like his violence, but it was used for good, you know, up until his mental break. Yeah. Good. You know, it, it's, it's relative, but you know, it was used Different for good. Types of violence. Right. But you know, they, they felt like, you know, he, they could save him, you know, and, and this was also, you know, against them because it looked bad on Ben Kingsley's character and Mark Ruffalo's character where it was like, they're a failure now. You know, this is a failure. Well, know? and that's the whole thing, you know, that he says, this place makes me wonder, which would be worse, to live as a monster or to die as a good man? Um, now, all of this, the, the results of what they're doing here, it's all going to hang on whether or not he's Andrew or not. Yeah. Now, a lot of people say... Oh, well, maybe he was just regressing and maybe he really was regressing. And that was just some kind of a random line. No, that was an Andrew line. That wasn't a Teddy line. That and, was an Andrew. And line. when he was admitting stuff, when he was, you know, quote unquote, Andrew at that point near the end and he was admitting all this. Now, was he really Andrew or was he still playing along because he knew all the background of the case, you know, and he also knew that they were saying that's who he was. So he might have never, ever regretted back you know regressed. or regressed right. back to andrew but we don't know because he knew all the 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 evidence in the case he knew the case very well because it was his wife right you know? i think that what shows us that it he did come back to is because um right before that whenever he passed out and everything he finally had a real memory Every memory he had up to that point was conjoined with other memories, and they're kind of together. The only real memories he had was the uh, concentration camp. Yeah. But even that could be weird if they didn't execute all those people. Uh, and the, the, there was no kind of light flickering. There was no technical. Because remember, most of his Teddy's fantasies, mm -hmm. not Andrew's, but Teddy's fantasies, were in like this technicolor thing. Yeah. And it was on purpose because it's supposed to be, you know, hyper real and all that kind of stuff. And, and some something that somebody would make up. Yeah. Um, but... You know, he had that real memory of what happened, and it was all just a memory. There was no flashes or anything. It was just what happened, what his wife did, what he did to his wife after that. And then he came back to reality. There was no, I don't think there was any kind of, I mean, that showed us um, the fact that they knew this story bit by bit. And, uh, and, uh, what did they say? Uh, he, he came up to Andrew at the end and gave him a cigarette. And what did he say? What's our play, boss? Or something like that. Said something. What's our deal, boss? And did he light a cigarette at that end? Uh, probably, because I don't remember him having matches. So there we go. That that might be the first sign that, that, you know, even before he started talking, that, you know, with him not lighting his own cigarettes, that could have been a first sign that said, okay, he already regressed back to Teddy. But I don't think he did. I, I think that he probably would have eventually because now they did say, remember, uh, you, you we made a breakthrough. You had this breakthrough nine months ago, yeah. and then you regressed again. Yeah. So this has already worked once before, not in the way that they did it, but they had a breakthrough where yeah. the real Andrew came out, and then he regressed again. Mm -hmm. So I think that 
yes, he eventually probably would regress again uh, without some kind of treatments or whatever. Um, but I think that in this moment, he really was Andrew because that wasn't part of the script. Yeah. The, and when I say script, it wasn't part of his usual story that he mm-hmm. repeats over and over and over. Suddenly, he has this question, which would be worse to live as a monster or die as a good man? That made uh, Chuck or Dr. Sheehan have pause and then kind of look at him like, wait, what did you just say? Mm-hmm. And Leo sees the, the lobotomy people coming up and he sees the chisel and everything. He knows what's going to happen. He gets up. And he quietly and calmly walks with them. Yeah. That's not Teddy. Teddy would not do that. Teddy, not even to fake it. He wouldn't want to be, he'd, he'd try to get out of there or whatever. Yeah. He'd freak out or whatever. He calmly walked with him because that was Andrew ready to let go of all of his memories, wanting to get rid of it. And um, Sheehan or Mark Ruffalo's character even said, like, whenever he was like, wait, what do you say? And Leo got up to walk away. He gets up and he's like, Teddy? And Leo didn't turn around. He didn't respond to Teddy anymore. Yeah, he's not Teddy anymore. Yeah. He's Andrew now, and and that's what he has to get. Of course, we have the last uh, last shot of the lighthouse. Uh, it, it, you get the shot of the lighthouse, and then it goes to to, to black. Uh, the the that last shot and the lighthouse itself, for the matter, uh, I think it's supposed to represent Andrew finding his way in the fog. He's found his way because the lighthouse helps ships find their way and everything. And it's the actual location he was able to see clearly in. That's where he made his breakthrough in. So, I mean, it's very representative, you know, the lighthouse, the fog coming through. So all these visual cues that Martin Scorsese gives, the music, the performances, and what this really means, you know, I suppose it could not be a movie just because you guessed a certain amount of it at the beginning or whatever but i think the paint the picture paints because i i could know everything that happens to it and i come back a second time and watch it and it's just as good because now you're picking up on all the cues that you were given and that maybe you didn't pick up on before so i understand you maybe not liking it in your initial watch but i was thinking maybe you'd have a different one now because it's still a great movie um it has to be something else than than that that twist was ruined for you because uh, and unless it's just not your cup of tea, you just don't like these type of movies. I I I like them separately. I guess I guess I like the you know the thriller horror type separately from the noir type in a way. I just don't think Scorsese. This is Scorsese's cup of tea. I don't think this is Scorsese's and, horror. I, yeah, and he he doesn't do movies like this, and I don't think he did this movie well, and I don't think the acting was well. I mean, uh, you know, Mark Ruffalo did a good job on certain scenes, and you know, Jackie Jackie Haley did a great great job. I thought, but I thought this was Leo's worst film. I thought this was Scorsese's worst film, and I just I I won't watch it again. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, cool. We, we we finally found one that uh, you absolutely hate because yeah. I know I know there was I know there was other ones that we've watched before that you didn't like, and then you were like, you know what, I liked it a lot more this time, and I yeah. was actually thinking about it, and I liked it I liked it a lot more this time, and everything. Yeah. So, but that's just not this just isn't one of those nope. movies for you then. Huh? Nope. That's weird because I was uh, waiting until the end to say this. This, along with Eternal Sunshine, is also on my top 10 movies of really? all time. Yeah. That's crazy. All t- uh, top 10 favorite movies of all time, Shutter Island. I'm, I'm not sure quite where it is, and maybe one day down the road we'll do a episode where we talk about our lists of top 10 favorite ever, yeah. but I'd need God, probably like a few months to <laughs> mull it over and decide what's, what's going to be where and yeah. or whatever, but... 
I, I don't know. I really enjoy this movie. I, I enjoy it immensely, especially if I haven't seen it for a while. Not just because I've forgotten the twist, because I'll, I'll never forget yeah. the twist. But coming back to it, you maybe forget some of the nuances or even to this day, just watching it. I told you I watched it again. I watched it twice now for this episode. Mm-hmm. And um, I found new things in it. Yeah. Even two days after I've watched it, watched mm-hmm. it again today. And I found more stuff. So, yeah. you know, and, uh, you know, and even if it's just nuances and stuff, and I know that you can say that with a lot of movies, but I don't know, this, this movie just really clicked for me I for gotcha. some reason. I gotcha. But, um, what are some other movies that you do not like like this, that generally a lot of people do like? Well, I always say Avatar. I mean, you know, <laughs> I can't stand that movie. That movie I dislike more than this one. So... It, um, uh, okay. That that one. Right, I mean, well, it's I'm, not getting, like I'm getting our one. Avatar episode ready, uh, ready to go. <laughs> uh, you did say a while ago when we talked about it. I mean, I'll do an episode, and we're doing an episode. I, I will, but it's going to be bad. <laughs> it's going to be real bad. You're going to see a lot of silence from me. I'm just going to say, I really don't see a lot of point in doing it. But maybe when the new movies come out, it'll somehow make the first one better. Yeah, I mean, it. it there's not a lot of movies where that I just won't like Sixth Sense I won't watch it again because not because it was a bad movie I love the movie I just the the it takes out all you know once you know how the ending mm-hmm. how it ends it just takes all the thrill out of the movie to the whole to really movie rests on the twist yes yes whereas in this movie there's a lot of different things going on and everything and it's not all about the twist yeah uh, but it's it's more about what's behind the twist and everything but yeah that sixth sense it's it's the twist so once you've seen it you're going okay and then when you're watching the movie you're like well i can pick up little things here and there it shows you know bruce willis never starts a scene by himself or 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 at least you know within earshot of this this kid or whatever so yeah it's that's a i don't know that it's i just maybe i just can't even explain it but i love that movie great movie seen it twice in my life yeah and I think the second time I, I didn't even finish I th- it. I think I watched like that. it once. I think I watched it one and a half times. Great movie, but yeah, it's just not something that I'd come back to. This one, for how much it's filled with all kinds of goodies, mm-hmm. in my opinion, um, I'll come back to it. And I usually do at least once once a year. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. But um we got to figure out a movie that I hate that we can talk about okay. that you really like. Yeah, I feel like that's only fair. I knew that you weren't a fan of this, but I didn't know you hated it as much as you did. And I didn't think it would get worse if you if you worse. watched it again. I thought it would actually get better. That's why I waited until we were actually on air to actually state that fact. And I waited until we were on air to see how you felt because yeah. I didn't want to get anything for you. This was me just trying to convince you it was a great movie. So Yeah, that's one of those Anyways. ones you can't do that to me. So uh, no. you got to watch it with me next time because then I could be like, look, you see how that happens? Get it? You'd be like, yes, be like yes, man. I, I already got that. Something. Yeah. So... Uh, if you guys want to get a hold of us, we're on all social media at the Post Credit Podcast. We're uh, except for Twitter, we're at the Post Credit. Our email address is the Post Credit Podcast at gmail.com. We have a website; it's www.thepostcreditpodcast.com, and we're on YouTube. Uh, we appreciate you guys listening, and we'll see you next time. And throw me a bone.